Let's bring in Hollywood divorce attorney David Glass for more on this. David, people going through divorces are going through some of the hardest times of their lives, and a lot of what they're going through is emotional. And in any divorce, there's a huge sense of loss and the loss of relationship, of money, some friends. Here we are again for another episode of the Hourglass Podcast, where family law and psychology intersect. I'm David Glass, a certified family law specialist, former psychologist and the author of Moving On, Redesigning Your Emotional, Financial, and Social Life After Divorce. Today's show is a continuation of our series on ways to get through the holidays successfully if you're grappling with divorce or a recent breakup. Overall, the customs and traditions are likely gonna be a bit different this year compared to others. For instance, you've gotta decide, how do I celebrate the Yuletide season this year? Who do I buy gifts for? Who do I take off my list? Should I plan my festivities in keeping with the ones from years past? Will I spend my time with the same people? Will I go to the same places, prepare the same celebratory feast? Or will everything be drastically different? And if so, how? There's a lot to consider. Bottom line, what can and should you change? Which rituals will you keep and which ones will you replace? Good questions. With that in mind, we have three very interesting guests today on The Hourglass. One is an etiquette expert and will tell us what's appropriate for the holidays and what's not, now that you and your partner have split. Next, we will have an adult of divorced parents with us who will describe the holiday customs and traditions he grew up with and what he does now. After that, a sociologist will break down a more global view of customs and traditions and how we humans partake in them, react to the changes in them, and ultimately how we adapt to those changes. Before we hear from them, let's start with another of our self-assessment quizzes. See what you've already tackled on the change things up list and those you're still avoiding. Number one, have you put off the necessary planning of events and the revamp of the traditions you know you have to change this year? Number two, have you made a list of those people you will exchange gifts with and those you won't? Three, are you gonna celebrate with the same family members and friends or new ones? Who are they? Who aren't they? Write it down. Number four, on a scale from one to 10, at what level do you dread having to make these choices and then act on them? Number five, are you comfortable with the changes you've already planned for or are soon to make? Here's my advice, no more stalling. I realize that making these decisions are not easy. They're hard to deal with, but making them is one more step in moving you forward in your new life moving you into your new way of doing things. Let's talk to our first guest, Lisa Gachet, who is the founder and CEO of Beverly Hills Manners. Lisa is a nationally recognized etiquette expert and the author of Beverly Hills Manners, Golden Rules from the World's Most Glamorous Zip Code. Lisa provides practical solutions for modern day living and helps clients improve social skills and enhance lives, both personally and professionally. And Lisa covers a lot more than what fork we use at a seven-course meal. She knows all about traditions. Now, getting right to it, uh, Lisa, if you are someone who is right after a breakup or coming through a divorce and the holidays are coming up, are there certain rules of etiquette that you should follow in celebrating the holidays this year? Yes, I believe that the rules of etiquette in terms of holiday season are the same as really any time of the year when you are have separated from a spouse 
And really what that means is that you're just still putting the children first, right? So everything you do is about trying to maintain, I think you mentioned the word tradition, trying to maintain traditions, trying to maintain all those things that make us feel warm and fuzzy at this time of year, um, despite the fact that you are maybe solo and, and taking turns with the children. So that continuity, that tradition, that making sure that they come first is paramount, holiday time or any time. Right. And, you know, I always tell my clients, uh, if you don't have Thanksgiving Day this year because mm-hmm. your ex-wife has it, your ex-husband has right. it, I don't see anything wrong with celebrating a second Thanksgiving on Friday or maybe on the Wednesday before. Absolutely. In fact, I have a dear friend who is divorced, and she uh, started doing what she calls T2 because it was always exactly what you're saying in terms of maybe her spouse, her ex-spouse had the children on Thanksgiving. So she actually prefers now to host a T2. And then it becomes not only with the children, but also a Friendsgiving. Since sure. most people are already preoccupied on Thanksgiving. So, right. And that had become something even more fun for the children. So that's a great idea. And so what about people uh, inviting their exes over to their holiday traditions? Is that something people should do or or something they should stay away from? Well, everything is situational, right? And so if it depends on the breakup. So if you have an amicable, communicative relationship with your ex where everybody is kind and considerate and puts the children first, then I don't see anything wrong with inviting them, right? It's also a two-way street. So if you're extending the invitation, um, the hope is that they will accept if it is a nice relationship, um, just again, to have that continuity for the kids. But if you don't have that kind of relationship, I do not think there's anything that in the, there certainly isn't in the book of etiquette that says you must invite because you don't want to add stress, right, right, to that situation. So it really is, with everything, when mm-hmm. it comes to etiquette, it's, it's situational. Right. And I, so I'm a divorce lawyer. Yes. Uh, and uh, people come to me with very conflicted and complex divorces. So mm-hmm. my advice to my people is just do your own thing. Because if they're, if they're using me for their divorce, they probably don't have that sort of amicable, <laughs> exactly. friendly situation. Exactly. And, and it could be that it starts off where it isn't a good, you know, divorce and there's a lot of... Uh, feelings right of hurt but over time maybe that has dissipated and so then they can come together Um, but i agree you're not if you're divorcing in the first place you probably need some space so best to have two separate you know holidays yeah so what about uh what about the situation if you had a particularly good relationship with your in-laws yeah say you were you were almost best friends with your mother-in-law and now you're not celebrating with your, your ex-wife, for example. Yes. Is there a certain way that you should handle that situation? Um, again, I would say situational, right? So it depends on your relationship with your ex. Because if your ex has very strong feelings about keeping everything separate, in, and maybe if especially you were the one who asked for the divorce, sure then it's, it's really painful to see that there's still such a tight relationship yeah. with the parents, right, versus the spouse. So I would kind of yield and defer to the ex-spouse's wishes and try not to go against that. 
Because what what I deal in is constantly the idea of putting yourself in someone else's shoes, right? Treat others the way you would like to be treated. Mm-hmm. So if we, in any situation, if we, uh, you know, imagine ourselves lifting out of our body and into someone else's shoes, right. how would we react? How would we, you know, move forward? What kind of actions would we take? So we always have to think first, right? And then that can hopefully, you know, get us to that appropriate behavior or action. Absolutely. It's that perspective taking. Yes. The way I asked the question was, for example, I had a great relationship with my Mm mother-in-law, but that's not where the question starts. Right. Exactly. There's all the backstory involved there. Mm -hmm. And we have to, you know, we want to just protect and we want to try and adhere to the wishes of our exes, you know, again, hoping that it is, or, or trying to keep things as amicable as possible, right? right? Why add fuel to the fire? Where can people use their friends to make the holidays easier uh, post-breakup? Yes. Um, look, our friends are often regarded as our family, right? Mm-hmm. And so oftentimes to have that support, to have that wing person is, I think, an, an excellent you know, person or people to lean on in these circumstances when we feel very much alone, right? Mm-hmm. So as I said, when, you know, my friend had the T2 and she had the children there, but then to kind of grow that feeling of people around the table, she started to invite friends. I always think that it's a wonderful idea as long as the children don't feel that they are not having that time with their parents, right? right, right. So if every single thing you do is with a bunch of people around yeah. and then you're off having cocktails with your friends and the kids are kind of sitting in the corner, that's not ideal. Right. So it's use them as a support, but not as a replacement for the relationship building with the children. So Lisa, how would you go about cutting off uh, your ex's family around the holiday times, if this is a brand new thing? Do you send a letter or an email or a text or do you post it on Facebook, God forbid? What, right. what, what, what should people do? <laughs> I think you just answered your own question there. Yeah. But um, yes, in the fa- in the sense that we do, you know, a lot of people take to social media, right, mm-hmm. to make these big announcements. And that's not something I would advise right. at all because if someone is close to you, we want to make sure that we have that interpersonal relationship. So best advice is to pick up the phone and share with people because nobody likes to find out anything secondhand, right? Mm -hmm. And we also don't want to blast something on a billboard for the world to see. So we want to think about the idea that privacy is paramount. And if you're communicating something, it's just like when you get married. I mean, the opposite of this, you know, you don't want your friends and your family, especially if they read something on Facebook before you've called them in advance. So you want to try and have these individual touch points with people in your life. So something like an email or a um, anything on social media seems cold and mm-hmm. very distant. Right. So just these intimate exchanges are absolutely what's preferred um, because the people just will get very, very upset otherwise. Yeah. And I, I sort of <laughs> made the joke about Facebook uh, because 14 or 15 years ago when I was getting separated, uh, we decided how we were going to announce it, how we were going to tell people. Right. And one night I was fooling around with Facebook about uh, once we announce it, how do I list myself as single? I must have clicked something, so it went out that I'm now single. Yes, yes. Everyone started calling, what's going on? Yes. And I, I said it was an accident. 
Right. Uh, I don't really mean it, but then a month later they found out we were we were getting divorced anyway. Exactly. And that is that status change yeah. is that, you know, check alert and it's different also if we're a celebrity, right? If you're a celebrity, every single celebrity takes to social media to make the big announcement. Yeah. But if you're not a celebrity, right. you don't have to do that, yeah. right? I mean, it, we'd, we'd like to all think that we're celebrities, but honestly, it's nobody's business. Right. And less is more mm -hmm. when it comes to that type of communication. Again, to protect the children, mm -hmm. because no, it's really nobody's business. Right. And so we, we talked about if you had a great relationship with your in-laws, is there, what would you suggest as far as communicating with the in-law if you've made that decision that you need to step back for the benefit of your ex? Yes. And, you know, one of the things that I love at holiday time, more so than even the gift, is a card, mm -hmm. right? So there's nothing to say that you can't send a beautiful holiday card that communicates your sentiment, you know, right. that lets them know that while, you know, obviously you're no longer a family, um, that you still care for them and that you still wish them all the best at this time of year. And, um, you know, that, that keeps the lines of communication open, but also I think adheres to your ex's wishes. Right. Um, but really when we put pen to paper, and we take the time to write something, it takes an effort, right? You have to get a stamp, you have to put it in the mail. Yeah. So that really conveys heart. And I think that's all anybody wants this time of year. So that to me is totally fine. You don't have to spend, you know, money on this big lavish gift, right? because that is sometimes not as meaningful as a note that we actually keep in a drawer for years to come. Right. right. Handwritten note. Yes. Did. Yes. That you can't go wrong with a handwritten note. Sure. So Lisa, I've got a couple of good manners versus bad manners questions. For okay. You. Um, if you receive a gift uh, from your ex's family member. Yes. And then what do you do? Is it good manners to send a return gift or is it bad manners? Got it. Okay. Well, just as if in any gift exchange situation over the holidays, there's oftentimes where we'll have a friend you know, we'll go to coffee or something and they'll show up with a gift and we didn't have a gift for them, right? So you don't have to then run out and buy a gift because then that may seem a little bit disingenuous, right? right, right. But if you receive a gift from some, uh, you know, one of your ex's family, um, which is wonderful, you graciously accept, right? And then what you might say is, you know, let's definitely make a, you know, I'd love to take you to coffee. Or what you might do is write them a very lovely thank you note afterwards. Um, but you don't have to do necessarily a gift in kind, right. if that wasn't already something that you were feeling. You know? And I don't think anyone should ever feel like, well, you know, I bought them a gift, but they didn't get me a gift, right? Mm -hmm. Because when we do that, we're giving without looking for that acknowledgement in right. return, right? Again, as with anything that we give, mm -hmm. whether we're married or not yeah. married, <laughs> it's the idea of how good it makes us feel, right, right. to do so. Okay, another good <laughs> manners versus bad manners uh, question. Uh, we talked about this T2 and having a second Thanksgiving the day afterwards. Yes, what about uh, inviting all of your friends that you shared with your ex mm -hmm. into this T2 tradition? Is that a potential bad manners move? Right. Well, I honestly think that it is not bad manners because, you know, unless you and your ex have gone through your list of friends mm -hmm. and literally checked off, okay, this is your friend, this <laughs> is my friend, which hopefully nobody really does that. Right. 
then if you feel genuinely, you know, out of the goodness of your heart that you'd like to invite the friends to your Thanksgiving, plus you feel that it would be good for the kids to maintain some of that continuity, I don't think that's bad manners. And I don't think that your ex should put you down or make you feel badly for that. And in the same way, let's say they decide to have an event and they invite maybe the same group of friends. You have to look at that and say, you know, well, I did that. And so I guess it's okay that my ex does that as well. So totally not bad manners in my book. Got it. So Lisa, I've had a situation with some of my clients where their ex shows up with the kids and it's Mm -hmm. supposed to just be a drop off. Mm And the ex comes right into the house, uh, right into the celebration. Is there some sort of protocol or what is the proper way to handle a situation like that? Yes. I mean, while you're totally caught off guard, right? You don't want to shame your ex in front of the children. And then the children may be feeling like, you you know, are they expecting that daddy or mommy stays, right? right? And so... Just like we would graciously welcome in, let's say a lot of times we're invited to a party and someone shows up with, or we show up with an extra person, you know, a sidekick, right? Right. That wasn't invited. Mm -hmm. You would never turn that person away and say, sorry, you're not on the list, right? So we have to welcome welcome them in with graciousness. And so, yes, the ex, you'd have to make a spot for them at the table and just make it work. And not that you have to have a lot of dialogue with them. You don't have to be sitting next to them and become their best friend. But they could be there near the children. And you let them just participate. And um, if you want, perhaps have a conversation afterwards with them. You know, just kind of expressing that if that's your intention, you know, just for our communication going forward, just so that we have some dialogue around that in advance, Right. right? Because, again, turning the tables and saying, well, how would you feel? Because I actually have some divorced friends where the husband has shown up in exactly that right, situation. Right. But when the wife tries to show up, then it's no. Right. Persona non grata. Right. Mm-hmm. So it has to work both ways. Yeah. I mean, you just what rules don't work just for me and not for you. Absolutely. And, and the thing with all these things you're explaining to us, which are all very helpful, uh, is that they're almost common sense. They are. Yes. But when people are uh, under the pressure of the holidays or the tension of a recent breakup, they have trouble just thinking what's the right thing to do. Yes, yes. And so uh, common sense is the key word. But another key word around this is respect, right? We all want to feel respected. We all want to feel loved. And at holiday time, you know, we're just, we're all walking around with almost like exposed nerves because We have such high expectations this time of year. And we, you know, it's such a a year, a time of year where you want to have people around you and feel loved, right? And so whatever we can do to make that happen and and kind of maintain that feeling, um, we're desperate to have. So we really just have to think about in every action that we're doing, every, you know, communication, every touch point that we show that respect, that we show that love. So if it's adding the extra emoji on a text to someone or, Mm -hmm. you know, writing that handwritten note along with the gift that you would give them or just taking the time to just sit down with somebody, look them in the eye and have a conversation and be really present for that dialogue, Mm -hmm. right? Because so many people have that phone slapped right on the table and they're multitasking and then you don't feel special. 
Right. You don't feel respected. Yeah. So honestly, most of communication breakdown really happens because of this domain that I live in, which is your manners, right? Yeah. Because when we feel like someone is rude, then, you know, it's really that, that feeling that we aren't important enough, mm-hmm. right? And who, no one wants to feel that way. Right. Hey, Lisa, do you have a top three things in terms of good manners versus bad manners that people can take away during the holiday season if they're going through a breakup? Yes. Okay. So first of all, in my book, I have an, an whole kind of chapter devoted to this. It's part of the chapter called Unmentionables, but I titled the divorce section, Doing the Splits. Okay. And so in terms of, you know, how to handle these types of things, I would say, again, privacy is paramount. I would say treat your ex, if you need to, if they're being bad, you mm-hmm. need to treat them like you would that kind of drunk uncle, right? <laughs> so we need to detract, dis- distract and deflect, mm-hmm. right? So that may mean taking them and physically bringing them into another space like you would even a two-year-old, right? right? And finally, keep on, you know, you put on that game face, right? Mm-hmm. So when you are interacting with them, you are always rising above the fray. You're letting things roll off your shoulders. And then that maintains that level of respect because we know we can't control anyone else, right? They could be all kinds of crazy, right. but how we deal with that, that's the important part. When we rise above, it really helps to smooth over any potential minefield, if someone is going through a breakup where they're post-divorce yes. and they want help with figuring all these things out, yes, how do they find you? Uh, well, they can find me on my website, which is beverlyhillsmanners.com. They can also, I, I personally, and if they go to my website, I love a phone call because right. I'm, I'm all about the interpersonal sure. relationship, right? So the worst thing for me is to receive an email, which I can get. Mm-hmm. Um, you can find that also on my website, Lisa at beverlyhillsmanners.com. But then they don't leave any contact information, no phone number. I have no way to get in touch. Right. So please call me. Yeah, and then, yeah. so that's my first mode of communication, pick up the phone. And um, I do have social media, although I have to say I've been a bad girl for the last couple of years since the pandemic. Right. Um, also because it's it sort of seems a little bit the you know a contradiction to what mm-hmm. I preach. So I but I am working on something right. um, a next endeavor that will bring me back into social media. But my get just pick up the phone is my my first request from anybody who wants to reach me. I'm happy to help. Great. So if I break it down in cliff notes, uh, yes. handwritten cards. Yes. Get on the phone to people. Yes. And respect Yes, absolutely. I love that. Great. Take that. Everybody take that to heart this holiday season. Great talking to you today, Lisa. Thank you for having me. Next up, we have Dave Harding. Dave is in his mid-30s. He's a successful videographer, editor, and graphic designer. His parents divorced when he was only four years old. Now, Dave, tell us your story. How were the holiday traditions different between your mother's and father's homes? So it was very different. My mom is a hippie like an original hippie, and she celebrates a solstice, which to this day I don't know a lot about other than the 21st of December is a very short day, and then the days get longer. But, you know, she thought there was gnomes in the yard, and she's like, you know, the sun's out, man. Like, you should enjoy it. Right. So it was very, and I only spent maybe two Christmases at her house. She, She lives in a house, northern Maine, close to Canada, like an hour from the border. So she would give us gifts like uh, wooden toy trains. 
Right. And I was 12. So yeah, I said, yeah. that's nice. I, what am I supposed to do with this? Can I have a baseball or a glove or something? Sure. So then you go to my dad's in the big city in Portland, Maine, which, by the way, 100,000 people. Big city. Big city. And we had some great traditions, though, at my dad's. Uh, number one, he would cook pancakes. And to this day, I was actually just with him a week ago. He figured out his own recipe now. He doesn't mm-hmm. buy it off the shelf. Right. He's like, hey, I dialed it in, blueberries and all. Amazing. You know, getting a home-cooked meal from your parents is probably one of the best things you can have. Sure. Uh, is your family big into gift wrapping? Uh, my family is. I am not. Right. So I'm yeah. not either. And I got this from my dad. So what we do in our family is he's, I think maybe for a couple of years, wrapped gifts. But he said, you know what? Like, screw it. He ties the gift in the bag it came in, like a Target bag or a Toys right. R Us at the time. And he just put these bags under the tree and he put a nice little bow on top. Sure. And... We still do that to this day. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. So do you remember any holidays when your parents were still together? I don't. I only have photographic evidence of that. Right. Um, I think my mom did show up to one Christmas. Mm -hmm. But I was maybe five or six, and I just thought, hey, cool, mom's here. Right. So, you know, not a lot of memories. Okay, Dave, uh, go ahead and tell us a little bit more about your story. How many siblings do you have? Where did you grow up? What's it been like for you each year when the holidays roll around? So I have one younger brother. He's two and a half years younger. And uh, he has two kids with one on the way. Mm-hmm. So we grew up in Maine. Um, I feel pretty grounded by the fact that I grew up there, you know, split time between my dad's house and the big city in Portland. And then my mom's house is four and a half hour drive up the Maine coast It's about an hour from Canada. So she's actually closer to Canada than she is to my dad's house. Right. And so that was a a whole thing. Usually the summertime was at her place because she's on a farm. And, you know, um, she has an outhouse. I don't know if you've ever used an outhouse. I have not. So in the wintertime, it gets kind of interesting if you have to make the trek out there in your snowshoes. No joke, snowshoes. Um, so at Christmas time, we, that's why we only spend a couple Christmases at my mom's, mostly it's at my dad's. And now what we do, since my brother has kids, is all of us, my dad included, we go to my brother's house. It's totally traditional because his wife is really into wrapping gifts and she goes to, you know, TJ Maxx and Marshall's and gets all the, the stuff. And yeah, yeah. I love it. I yeah. mean, and it's cool because I love my nephew and then my niece Brooklyn is 13. So I get more joy in giving them presents. Mm-hmm. And it gives me a place to go because I don't have a family of my own. Right. Um, I've definitely spent a couple of Christmases by myself, like at college when I didn't want to make the trek from the West Coast to the East Coast. But yeah, yeah. my brother's house is the best. I'm looking forward to it. That's great. So it sounds like your parents were different in just about every way that two people could be different. Is, is that a fair assessment? That's accurate assessment. I don't understand how or why they got together. I'm happy they did because I'm happy I'm here right. you know, today. Uh, but they're very different people. Right. Did you ever ask your mom or your dad about what it was like when they first met and they were first together? You know, I did. Uh, I've actually talked to my mom and dad quite a bit about that, as I've, especially as, as I've got to know my mom a lot more. And we've become actually good friends because I didn't always have that mother figure around. Sure. Obviously, like she cared for me when I couldn't do anything on my own, and I love her for that. Uh, but now it's kind of cool. Like just the other day, she called me on the phone and said, hey, man, we need to start a weed business because right. she's a pot farmer, and right. that's like what she does, agriculture. And I said, that is cool. I would like to do a weed business with my mom. Right. Uh, but when they got together, my dad was a flight attendant or a steward is what they were called at the time, steward, stewardess. Uh-huh. And I guess my mom was on a trip to Hawaii 
and my dad started hitting on her. Right. And, you know, they're about almost 20 years apart. And I guess after that trip, they got together quick. And in a couple of years, they had me. Right. Interesting story. Let's say the least. Yeah. And I've never been to Hawaii. So the one thing I always razz them about is, hey, when am I getting a trip to Hawaii? Like, right. I wasn't necessarily conceived there. Right. But right. it definitely was the spark that started all this. It's a big part of your inception story. Huge. That's great. And so I know this is at some point in the future. But when you have your own family and you're raising your own children, do you have any idea what role the holidays and these various traditions you grew up with are going to play in your own family? Well, I'm definitely going to fight to keep the no wrapping because I'm still terrible at wrapping right. gifts. And right. uh, I'll just put them in the bag. And I'm sure my wife will say, no, no. And she'll go after I go to bed and wrap them properly. But right. I'll hide one just to make sure I get <laughs> it in there. Uh, but I want to be the embarrassing dad who, like, mm -hmm. tries to play Santa or leaves the tracks uh, and leaves out the cookies. Like, Santa was there. Right. Uh, matching pajamas. Like, I want to do all that stuff. That's great. And, hey, if my kids go along with it, great. And I'm sure by the time they're teenagers, they'll be like, Dad, you're not cool. Who does that? Right. Um, but I want to try to keep those traditions that I didn't have and inject them into my own family. Yeah. Honestly, when your kids get to be teenagers, no one's parent is cool so that that's that's easy to say across the board i'll stay uncle dave uncle dave is cool by the way sure. my 13 year old niece thinks i'm very cool dad sure. is a different story yeah, different story altogether thanks for sharing your story with us today oh you're welcome good to be here so here are a series of questions for you at home to think about write down your answers number one do you have a favorite parent ritual with one or both of your parents Number two, do you have a preference as to which parent you would rather spend the holidays with? Number three, do you have any leftover emotional trauma or triggers that emerge as the holidays draw near or when you're in the middle of them? Number four, have you learned anything from your upbringing and its holiday traditions? Number five, how do you celebrate them differently? Number six, when you marry and start a family, what plans do you have to create new traditions? Number seven, what advice do you have for other adult children of divorce who are trying to manage their negative or ambivalent feelings during the holidays? So after you've answered these questions, take a look at your answers. What do they tell you about where you are in terms of moving forward and creating new holiday traditions in your life? What are you going to change? What are you going to keep the same? All very important questions as the holidays roll through. Now I bet there are a number of viewers who might relate to what Dave shared with us. I'm guessing that it's been comforting for them to learn about how Dave handles this time of year. I know I now have some new insights to share with my associates and my clients, which I certainly will do. Next up, Professor Jessica Collett. She's a professor of sociology at UCLA and the vice chair of undergraduate education. One of her areas of specialty is family. We asked her to be with us today to talk about trends and traditions among families as they lead up to and during the holidays. We want her to tell us, from her perspective, how customs and trends may have changed among broken and blended families over the past 10, 30, or even 50 years. We also want her to tell us what lies ahead. Welcome, Dr. Collett. Uh, as you know, we're here to talk about how people of breakups can get through the holidays more harmoniously with one another, and how the family dynamics and norms may have changed in that way over the years. First, tell us about your work, your studies, where we stand as a society when it comes to partners who have split and how they've handled the changes that you've noticed in the past few decades. Thanks, David. It's nice to be here. 
Um, I'm actually a social psychologist. So what I am interested in is small group processes and identities, which is, of course, super important when it comes to family because we are small groups in families. And these processes through which we interact with one another um, influence how we see ourselves as mothers, fathers, children, friends, lovers, etc. So I study the, the family particularly from that perspective and how important interaction is, which is, of course, related to divorce because it tends to shift the ways that that families interact with one another. Sure. Yeah. I mean, and then, of course, we've all heard the the statistic that 50% of marriages end in divorce. Mm -hmm. Um, That is a somewhat misleading Mm. um, statistic in the sense that uh, it's not 50% of people who get married today are going to divorce um, for the... it's not that 50% of people who get married today for the first time are going to divorce right. because divorces are more common among people who are getting married for the second, third, sure. or, or fourth time. And also, actually, whether it's good news or bad news mm-hmm. for people in matrimonial mm-hmm. law, um, the divorce rate's going down yeah. and people are less likely to get divorced. And um, that's a, a good thing. Sure. Picking up on that, uh, has there been any research or what have you been able to learn about why is the divorce rate now suddenly coming down? Yeah, I think there are a number of reasons, but the two most important reasons is that um, the marriage rate is is going down. Oh, and right. um, and so the people who are getting married are the people who are more likely to have successful marriages. And so that is, one, because they're likely to be older, so mm-hmm. they have a better sense of what it is that sure. they want out of marriage. Um, and then number two, they're more likely to be educated and um, of higher socioeconomic status. And that is something that helps marriages as well. Uh, People who can afford to go to marital counseling if there's a problem and high quality marital counseling or people who can afford to take a vacation if things are not going well. So it's both the the age at which people are getting married and then the people who are getting married are less likely to to get divorced. Interesting. I always sort of thought that, uh, you know, I got married early and then I got divorced. And then when I was in my 40s, I made a much better choice for a partner and how to build a family. Exactly. And I've been telling my my older daughters, Mm -hmm. you know, do not get married. Uh, uh, Definitely not in your 20s and possibly not even in your 30s uh, because it's it's hard to tell who you are and, and also who you want to be with. Yes, but that's hard to tell your daughters too, right? Because <laughs> right. when I I got married for the first time a week before my 21st birthday and I thought that I was an adult and that I was a grown-up right. and that I knew knew what I wanted and, and who I was. And it's only later after you get divorced and um, you know, or later in your life if you're still married that you're kind of coming to determine who you are and who is the best complement to that. Sure. For a variety of reasons. Sure. Now, how do holiday traditions and customs uh, affect children of divorce? Yeah. I mean, holiday traditions and customs are super important for all of us. And Mm -hmm. I think that um, COVID was something that really shed light on this. We all felt a little out of sorts during COVID. Mm -hmm. And part of that was because of the changing of the traditions. And we weren't able to have rituals in the in the same way. We couldn't get together with people and things. And so um, rituals and customs 
are important because they have these special meanings for us. They are so much more than just what we do. It's not that we're gathered around a table eating turkey and stuffing that makes Thanksgiving what it is. Yeah. It's it's the people who are there, the stories that we have of previous Thanksgivings and things. And so when you go through a divorce, um, both the parents and the children struggle, but the children, you know, something has been changed in their life without their input. They, they are in a position where they feel like the rug got taken out from underneath sure. them. And and so to have Thanksgiving also change or to have something just change so abruptly, it just feels like another additional stressor that has been put on them that they weren't expecting. Right. Um, and so if I were to give advice to people sure. for, for what they might do, it's really to, to think about um, how can I include my children in the reconstruction of rituals. How right. can I give them some type of, of voice in what it is that we're going to do from, from here on out? You know, what would you like to do? What is your favorite um, part of the meal or your favorite thing that we did yeah. um, during Hanukkah or Christmas? And, and so giving them that kind of voice. Another thing would be to um, think about the values that you have about the, 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 the rituals or the traditions that you have. What are the values that are embedded in them that are important to you? So um, once again, Thanksgiving and the turkey and things, if it's really getting together with people who you care about, then finding a way to capture getting together with people you care about, perhaps not in the same way, but still realizing that same value that is so important and core sure. to who you are. And both children and parents will find that if new rituals are capturing the values that they hold dear, that they're more... Um, they're not better substitutes. That's not a good way of saying it. Right. But they're just um, an easier kind of next step in, in thinking about that. Do you have a favorite tradition in your family? Um, you, you know what? My wife creates and maintains her traditions. Uh -huh. uh, and I just, she tells me where to show up and, <laughs> uh, and what to wear okay. uh, and, and what to do. Uh, so I'm not that big on the holidays. But my, but my wife is amazingly huge on the holidays. Yes. And so... We're raising two young boys, and uh -huh. they are going right along with her uh, celebratory nature of, of any sort of holiday yeah. or birthdays. It's actually very sweet. Yeah. So when I hear that, I hear that you like to be the person who goes along with the flow right. and and that that is something that you value, right. that you value, you know, making this other person happy. Right. And I hope that you don't get divorced. But in that instance, right. you know, I would think about like, what is something that you feel would really make people happy? Because that's what, what right. you like to do. And with your boys and their celebratory nature, then what I would recommend is that you find something that is festive, yeah. um, you know, so. So for parents, what they want to do is really capture what is it about the holidays. You might not be a holiday person, right. as you're saying, but you are a person who cares about other people and their experiences. Sure. And so you need to find a new tradition that captures that. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, you, you mentioned fewer people getting married. Yes. Uh, but just as many people are having children without true. being married. That is true. How does that change uh, come into play in terms of holidays and customs and traditions and rituals? 
Yeah, that's a really great question. I wish I had a great answer for that. <laughs> I mean, the the truth is, is that these concerns that you have about how to reimagine customs and rituals among the ho- around the holidays are not just about people who are getting divorced anymore, right? It's about anybody who is splitting up. Right. And it's also, I think, important to consider that there are people who are still in a relationship, but for some reason cannot be together during the holidays. That could be because of... Um, military service or incarceration or work. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so these things that you're interested in are just important to all kinds of, of people. Um, and I think that there can be less, um, if you have not been married, it can be more difficult sometimes to uh, imagine exactly how you're going to do things mm-hmm. post breakup because we have words like ex-wife and ex-husband and custody agreements and such. And there are those things in, yeah. in couples that, that just break up, but it's less likely to be legitimated. And so it can just feel a little bit more awkward for, for sure. families who are not going. Okay. Yeah. And what, in terms of society in general, yeah. Are having holiday rituals and traditions a, a good thing or a, a bad thing? Oh, for in general, rituals are wonderful. Mm-hmm. I mean, and we have rituals every day. We have rituals of how we say hello to one another, etc. They give us this kind of grounding. We know what to expect. We learn what values are important to us, whether we use those words or not. We come mm-hmm. to understand that um, these kinds of traditions say something about, about who we are. And sometimes in a divorce situation or when a child grows up and starts their own family or is on mm-hmm. their own, they find that those holiday rituals actually didn't speak to who they were and they want to imagine it. Maybe a divorce is an opportunity to to determine what really you care about, you know, mm-hmm. what is important to you instead of just what was important to your mother-in-law or something along those lines. So rituals are very important. It's through rituals that we interact with other people and that's what really sustains social life. Sure. And and so if, if uh, you're someone who is post-divorce or post-breakup, yeah and you're trying to decide which traditions and, and customs to keep yeah. and how to introduce new things, yeah. is there a, a best practice for, for taking, yeah. that, taking that on? Yeah, so the best practice is to think about what you value, what is important to you. So if you are a newly divorced person, single for whatever reason, um, you want to figure out what is important to me. This is a difficult time for you. You have just gone through this breakup, and it's really about evaluating yourself and figuring out who you are and what is important to you mm-hmm. and finding a way to to realize that. You do also have to mourn the that the loss of a relationship is not just the loss of that person. The loss of a relationship is the loss of things like these rituals, that it is the loss of friendships sometimes, that it is the loss of an identity. I went from being, you know, Mrs. Brown to being Ms. whatever your your last name Mm -hmm. is. And so I I do think that um, you you have to step back and you have to acknowledge that it's difficult. You have to figure out what is important to you. And if there are other people involved, like children, you want to ask them what they would like 
as well. And, you know, if your child wants pancakes for, you know, (laughs) um, New Year's Mm -hmm. Eve or something, then just Mm -hmm. think about like, what is important to me? Like, do I need to have the fancy hors d'oeuvres and the champagne or can we have pancakes and hot chocolate or whatever it is that they want, you know, include them in and think about what's really what's really important and it will make them feel special too. And they might, when they're 76 years old, still be having pancakes right. on New Year's Eve. Right. Yeah. And it's, uh, and you, you bring up uh, an interesting point. So when I raised my older daughters now 20 years ago, yes, there wasn't so much focus on what do the kids want. It that was, is true. I was, it was my job as a parent to set it up and take them through things. And, and a couple different times today, you've mentioned meeting with your kids, talking to them, trying to figure out what the family's new tradition is going to be. Yeah, well, I mean, I don't want to have, I don't want kids to rule the world. Right, right. <laughs> I'm not trying to say that, but I am trying to say that, you know, um, the world has changed in the sense that kids are more important to who parents think they are as well today. Yeah. Okay. So um, when my own son, who's now 23, was younger, he was much less a part of who I was as a mom. My job as a mom was to take care of him and to tell him what to do and things like that. My friends who have young children today, their job is to really like cultivate their children into these people and to be paying attention to their interests and their talents and and all of these things. And and so we just live in a different society where where kids are more part of of playing Mm -hmm. um, roles in families. And, and so, especially if your child is used to deciding what you're going to do on a Saturday afternoon, they're going to be pretty um, startled if after a divorce they can't decide yeah. or at least have a say in what you do on Christmas Eve. That said, um, I'm sure the parent, any parent of a young child knows that kids can have input without them ultimately being the person who uh, decides what that right. input is. So you can right. say, would you like broccoli or green beans? Instead of just what would you like for dinner, right? right? right. And so you can come up with some of the things that you sure. would be comfortable with, um, and still have your children feeling like they have a say in in what's happening. But you did bring up something that I think is really important as well mm-hmm. that has changed because of the importance of um, interactions between parents and children as part of parenthood today and particularly there's been a change in fatherhood so mothers have always interacted with their children quite a bit Mm -hmm. and um you know cared and and felt like they were mothers because of how their children viewed them and how they interacted and what the kinds of activities they did etc but now we have this um growing idea about an in you know sort of an involved father and Mm -hmm. a good father is a father who knows what his child's teacher's name is or what kind of what the name of the sports team that they play on on the weekend is it's somebody who plays ball or watches their favorite television show with their child so um, because parents are more involved in children's lives even post-divorce that's expected and so there is more co-parenting that happens and that particularly happens on the holidays so perhaps a couple who is divorced gets together as a blended family on on the you know during a holiday event because what's important is these children and being there with the children and they'll put aside their differences if they can um to to come together and find a way to do that where uh do you see any trends over the next five or ten years are the holiday traditions and rituals and customs are they changing 
uh, and, and where do you see them going? Oh, that's a great question. I do think that, um, and this is, I don't know of any research on this, but I right. do believe that there is just more flexibility in holiday traditions. Uh, we have more uh, inter-religious marriage, mm -hmm. okay? We have more people who identify as non-religious, right. and religion is such an important part of many of the rituals that we engage in around the holidays. Sure. And so if you have somebody who um, is Jewish who marries somebody who's Catholic, they're going to have to kind of reimagine what they're doing for the holidays. And the children, you know, used to have to decide on one side or the other, am I going to be raised Catholic or Jewish? And what am I going to do in the future? But now there's many more kind of hybrid approaches to holidays. And I think that that has opened up possibilities for families. It can make things trickier, right? Right. Not unlike when you were saying, you know, you just do what your wife tells you to do. Right. If, if I, um, you know, as a, a Protestant, you know, in society have a particular way that I do Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, and I don't have to think about it. That's that's pretty nice. But, you know, there is also something good about this openness and ability for people to to do to make new traditions. Sure. Sure. And and so it's the blessing and the curse, right, of of all of this freedom. Yeah. But I do think we'll see more of that and and less of, um, oh, this is the way that I do Thanksgiving and this is the way I'm supposed to do Thanksgiving and more. This is the way my family does Thanksgiving. Right. And so uh, have you, you've done some of your own empirical studies uh, around some of these questions. Um, can you share some of the results of your own studies and your own research that you've done? Yeah, the the so the research that I have done is mainly about interactions that happen within the the home, mm -hmm. and so thinking about um, the contributions of men and women to something like making dinner, which is not unlike the contributions of men and women. And here I'm talking about heterosexual relationships, sure. right? But of partners in um, kind of putting on everyday life. Who is it who does the meal planning? Who cooks the dinner, who does the dishes, and, yeah. and things like that. And um, that is a place where there has not been uh, as much of a shift as there has been in parenting. So you mm -hmm. will find that women are more traditionally in charge of the holidays, sure. of the decorations and planning the meals and making sure that that everybody is is there and dressed up if that's what, if that's what you do in your family, um, planning and organizing the events that people are going to go to. So so my research finds that, but that women, many women, you know, think that that's, that, that that's fair, that they enjoy those things and that their partners would not enjoy those things. So as long as their right. partners willingly show up and, and, and do those sorts of things, maybe hang the lights on the house or do some right. of the more right. outdoor tasks, yeah. which research, of course, shows that men do more outside and women yeah. do more inside. Um, but it is still a very gendered uh, tradition to think sure. about the holidays. So women are really... They're pushing most of it. Yeah. Um, I, I can imagine that, you know, uh, husbands are building bicycles the night before that becomes right. a gift or something. But the woman is often the person who thought, yes, this is this is what, you know, our child needs this year is a bicycle. Yeah. 
Um, as far as other things that I study, I, I study men and how this um, change in perceptions of fatherhood um, has affected them um, mm. and their perceptions of themselves as good fathers. And so who is it that thinks that they're a good father versus a bad father? And um, how opportunities to interact with your child really do help men as long as they have a sense of what they're supposed to do. Yeah. So many men who who um, are fathers today were not raised with fathers who were right. involved, emotionally available fathers because that wasn't what was expected of men then. Mm. And, and so they're kind of like feeling it out as they go along. And so maybe they have a good friend who's a great father or they have seen one in a movie or on television or they've read a book. Um, but many people, you know, are just trying to figure out the father that, that they want to be. And if fathers don't feel like good fathers, if, if men feel feel like they're not doing a good job, then they become more emotionally distant. Yeah. And, and that's a real problem after divorce that men will feel like, oh, I don't really know what I'm supposed to do as this mm -hmm. divorce dad. Maybe my partner used to tell me like, this is how you should yeah. be involved. And, um, and so it is very important that, that any parent, but particularly men, find a way to to interact with their child in a way that the child and the men finds meaningful. Right. And it doesn't matter. It's not about quantity of time. It's really about the quality of time. Great. Yeah. Uh, what's the most interesting study you've come upon in studying family and holidays? That's a great question. Um, you know, there's very limited research about family and holidays. And, and you asking that question has me wondering why that's the case and thinking that it would be a really great thing to think more about. Um, much of the research in sociology about family and holidays that I can think of is about gift giving and yeah. about what is an appropriate gift to, to give um, a parent versus a child or a friend, etc. Um, and, and that has me actually thinking about the importance of the meaning behind gifts, you know, that um, how gifts are perceived is, is not necessarily what, what the giver was, was hoping for. Sure. Um, but I, I don't have a, a good, I don't have, there's not a good research about, get, about rituals that right. I can think of, yeah. While people are trying to develop their own new traditions, uh, the fact of having traditions and rituals uh, is, is a key part of what keeps society yes. together. Traditions and rituals are, are so important. And we have to honor and acknowledge their importance to people, regardless of what they might seem like to us. So as there is more freedom and maybe people's rituals seem strange to us, understanding that that's really important to, to mm -hmm. those people and that it captures something that is important to them. And so honoring, honoring that. And that's a good thing to think about in the case of divorce, too, because maybe your ex-partner's um, traditions are different than, than yeah. what you would do, but to really respect that this is a tradition and to think about what it's capturing for that person and to not be quite so judgmental about how people choose to spend their time during the holidays. And it's okay to be alone during the holidays if that's what you want to do, if you're in a place where you don't feel like interacting, you know, reading a book, watching a movie, that can still be a ritual or a, a tradition that you do every year. Doctor, have you seen a trend in terms of people parenting, not only outside of a marriage, but outside of a relationship? 
Yes, there's definitely um, an increasing number of people who are not only having children outside of marriage, but who are deciding to have children on their own or to adopt a child on their own um, without a partner or a spouse. They believe that so much of a family is the parent and the child relationship. And so that is happening more often and thinking about how those people fit into the holidays and traditions is important as well. Sure. And what about what about technology? Uh, you know, during COVID, all of a sudden, everyone knows what Zoom is. Everyone knows how to do these meetings without flying places yeah. or without meeting in person. Uh, was that just a, a flash in the pan? Or is technology becoming a bigger part of our traditions and, and holiday customs. It's so interesting. Um, you know, right now in the place where we are, where people want to get away from Zoom and there was so much traveling right. and in-person types of things um, where people tried to get together for the holidays. And, you know, in, in 2021, when Omicron hit during the holidays, it really brought home how coming together with people and traveling could be quite difficult and, and dangerous. So it will be interesting to see what happens in the future now that people have have done both Zoom and had the opportunity right. to get together again as a family. I do think that technology has, has changed um, how people will celebrate in the years to come. Uh, it makes it possible for people who are elderly or who, you know, are unable for whatever reason to join, to feel like, like they have joined in on yeah. particular celebrations. It could be quite interesting to think about virtual reality. To me, this feels far in the future, right. but but for younger people, it's not as far in the future. And and just to think about, you know, it's not that we'll just meet on Zoom and all be in our squares, but that we could have a virtual reality experience where we see ourselves all interacting together in a room, you know, with a fireplace, maybe the snow and mountains around us, which feels so different than, right, right. than where we are in Los Angeles. Dr. Collett, amazing information you yeah. shared with us, pulling in the research to the practicalities mm -hmm. of getting through the holiday season. I can't thank you enough for coming yeah. in today. Thank you. Overall, it's my opinion that there is no pat way to handle family holiday traditions. Making a change or two becomes a very subjective and personal choice. We hope by watching today, you've learned a lot about what is and what is not proper when it comes to holiday etiquette as a divorcee. That you also picked up some interesting observations and ideas from Mr. Harding and the input he offered in talking about his own family. And of course, the interesting feedback we got from Dr. Collette on where society is headed in making adjustments and changes to holiday customs. Before I share my choice for today's song, I want to bring a little levity to the show again with a comedic look at what changes in rituals and customs our comic thinks people should make if they're trying to introduce and implement some Yuletide customs after a breakup. All right, moving along with some more humor, we have Cherie Kerr, who's a founding member of the Groundlings and the artistic director for the Orange County Crazies. She's been, uh, she's been married before and has some uh, information on her past marriages for us. I do. Well, actually, I was married for 15 years, David. Uh, well, to three different men during that 15-year right. period. And um, so I, what I did to make myself feel better each year, because each year was like another husband. You know, I'm fresh out of husbands now. But at the time, I would have like a different song and I would make a parody. So I just wanted to run some of these by you. I didn't write the entire lyrics, rewrite all the lyrics, but I do have some titles for you. 
Um, the first one, you know, I thought when the first divorce happened, I rewrote the song and, and I wrote, Have Yourself a Crappy Little Christmas. <laughs> right. I can't remember that one. And then um, on the second time around, I was very contentious. I wound up writing a song, Rocking Around the Courtroom Judge. Mm -hmm. And that was, you know, something that came into my head when we were in court and we're fighting over, you know, like furniture yeah. and, and leaf blowers and things like that that yeah. you always fight about. And so I just kind of hummed it in my head, and I started to write that. And then the year after that, I was still very upset, you know, with that husband because he took a, a lot of money that I thought I should have gotten. And so I, I, I just said, I'll just keep the title the same, and I just called it Silent Night. I just kept with Silent Night because that's what it was after I put my ex in the trunk of my car and drove him <laughs> out to Mulholland and drive somewhere. I, I also rewrote, you know, that darling little cradle thing in the manger and everything. Away in a, a jail cell. You know, away in a jail cell. That, that. It was like that. And that was the year that I trashed my ex's car. Mm -hmm. So I sang away in a jail cell until my uh, lawyer could get me out. And then I, I remember after that, it was another husband, and I wrote um, Feliz Not the Dad. And that was after the paternity test, you know, that I took to see if he was... And he was not really the father, so I rewrote that. Jose Feliciano, I don't know if he liked it, but <laughs> I redid that. And then um, after that, um, I you know, tried to lighten up a little bit and do, do, to kind of do like a little Broadway kind of thing. So I wrote, um, well, Andy Williams covered it. Uh, it's the most miserable time of the year. <laughs> so I did that, and then I rewrote those lyrics, and everything was just dire in the song. Oh, I wrote, um, it's another kind of religious thing. Oh, come all ye deadbeats, you know, the people who didn't pay. And that was the same year that I wrote a Deadbeats Roasting on an Open Fire. Right. I couldn't, that was a Christmas song, of course, as you know. And then um, I also uh, wrote, uh, after this many years and that many divorces and that many holidays, I wrote the song, It's Beginning to Look a Lot Like Detox, <laughs> because I had, oh, you know, had some problems. <laughs> But then, uh, and then I also wrote, the last thing I wrote, and, and I stopped writing these songs because it cost me so much money to get out of trouble, but I did write, O Tannenbaum, O Tannenbaum. Do you remember mm -hmm. that song? O Christmas Tree, O Christmas yeah. in German. O Tannenbaum, O Tannenbaum. And, um, but actually, he's, he's uh, the attorney, family law attorney I had. He's with the firm uh, Gold, Frankincense, and Myrrh. I don't know if you've heard of them, family law firm. <laughs> no. So some wise guys, they're pretty cool. But, you know, I finally, after three kids with three marriages, I decided to figure out the custody thing. Mm -hmm. So here's what I have come up with, and I want to see if you can get behind this. I think it's a movement we could start. I think if you are into somebody or you fall in love with them, I don't think you marry them. What you do is you have the kids, mm -hmm. and then you, when you, once you have them, you live in two different households. Yeah. And you go back and forth. The kids go back and forth and back and forth. There's no marriage. They've never had the experience of living with both. Sure. They have the experience of living in two different households. Now, if it works out, you can move into one house. But if it doesn't, they're never going to feel bad about going back and forth. What do you think? Excellent. Excellent well, that's idea. My, that's my plan. So I, and I hope you'll sing some of these songs with me at some point. Sure. And my kids and the neighbors. Yeah. Absolutely. I think that's... Uh, so I'm going to call Mr. Tannenbaum and see if <laughs> yeah. he can help me get out of trouble. So was Tannenbaum your uh, attorney for all three divorces? Uh, yes, he was. And so then he considered yes. you a frequent flyer. I was. I was a frequent flyer. I'm a serial <laughs> yeah. marriage person. And each one of these 
marriages was like a blip, you know, on my marriage screen. And oh, I have one other question for you. Yeah. If if you're married um, for 15 years, and let's say you haven't committed that sin for like 30 years, can you get your divorce record expunged? You can't. It's, it's out there forever. Gosh, I'm sorry to hear that. <laughs> now, here are a few of my own suggestions, perhaps on a more serious note. Number one, if picking out and decorating the Christmas tree was the focal point of kicking off the holidays, choose something else to put the same energy into. Like decorate the front of the house, design your own gift wrap paper, bake some unusual cookies, trade homemade fudge for Godiva truffles. Number two, if a fancy gourmet ham or turkey dinner was always the main choice for the holiday meal, cook something else, like a beef brisket or spaghetti or tacos. Give brunch, lunch, or dinner a whole new spin. Prepare a whole new menu. Number three, if gifts were very personal, try giving to a charity in your family member's name or try gift cards, then they can get whatever they want. Number four, if you've always celebrated the main event for the holidays at a specific day and time, when the whole family gathers, pick another day and time. Number five, and this is a big one, vow to create a minimum of three brand new traditions that you will now celebrate this year and plan to carry them forward for years to come. Eventually, memories of past traditions will gently fade and the new ones will be what you most look forward to. That said, it's okay to be a bit melancholy and nostalgic when you let go of the familiar. So go ahead, wallow in those feelings a bit this holiday season. That will help you process any loss or grief. But set your hourglass like you've done in previous episodes. Don't linger on these thoughts. Just process them, but don't dwell too long. Instead, make your wish list as you create your very own new and gratifying rituals that you will celebrate every year going forward. Now, before signing off, let's consider the lyrics of another song, like we do in all of our Hourglass episodes. This one lays out a wish list going forward, a request for some new traditions. I've chosen David Foster and Linda Thompson Jenner's My Grown Up Christmas List, a song sung by many pop and jazz artists over the past 30 years, including Natalie Cole, Kelly Clarkson, Michael Bublé, and my favorite version of it by Matt Bloyd of American Idol fame. While melodically poignant throughout, the chorus lays out a simple, hopeful, and universal holiday wish list with its lyric. While each item on the list will likely resonate with you, there is one line I especially want you to take note of. And time will heal all hearts. And yes, it will. <laughs>